0: I think heart is really important in leading. I think heart's really important in everything, but a lot of people discount it, especially when you're in a publicly traded company where, you know, shareholder value is at the top of the list. People think that heart and extraordinary shareholder value don't go hand in hand. I don't agree with that.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love Podcast. I have an extremely wonderful guest. What a treat today former president CEO of Celebrity Cruises and currently VP of External Affairs at Royal Caribbean Group and author of the upcoming book, Making Waves, A Woman's Rise to the Top Using Smart's Heart And courage. And it's so interesting how a lot of the serendipity happens when somebody comes into your radar. And Lisa came to my attention because her team reaches out, launching the book. And I'm like, wow, what an incredible story. And then I started seeing cruises everywhere. I'm hearing stories about cruises, I'm seeing cruises come up in the media. And so I realized this is such an industry that I have very little knowledge about, but I know it is massive. And to be able to run an organization of that scale, particularly as being the first women CEO in this industry, there are definitely lessons to learn. There's definitely a lot of selling involved, and there's a story to unpack. And I'm so excited to have Lisa lotov Parallel to join me today. Lisa, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Jason. such a pleasure to be here
1: and it's such an honor to have a conversation and making waves you definitely had a chance to do that and for most of my audience they're probably going to be sitting in a similar position as me which is i've seen cruises i'm aware of cruises quite frankly you know celebrity cruises is is a brand that is known by the majority of the people but as far as how Big of an organization that is, I'd love for you to kind of paint us the landscape very quickly so we understand what are we dealing with and the fact that you got to be the president and CEO of this organization.
0: Well, our company is the Royal Caribbean Group. It's a very large cruise company uh, traded on the U.S. S&P 500. And it's comprised of three different brands in the different categories of cruising, Royal Caribbean, which is the largest and does a lot of cruising out of Southeast Asia, Singapore, China, that is the largest mass market brand. And then Celebrity is this lovely medium-sized brand with medium-sized ships, premium upscale brand. And then we have Silver Seas, which is ultra luxury. Our organization in total is about 100,000 And we operate over 65 ships around the world. Celebrities, ships, 15 of them, 16 now. I just introduced another ship last month. And 20,000 is the size of Celebrity. I started in the company back in 1985 when it was very small. I have been with the company for 39 years now. And I started at Royal Caribbean and I started selling selling is where it all began. So another reason why it's just the perfect thing to be with you here today.
1: <laughs> I didn't even know that fact, but in again, the serendipity is strong. So you started as selling. And isn't it interesting? There's a lot of statistics that speak about, you know, people that get into positions of CEO usually have a sales background or a marketing background. And given your experience and the fact that you did start there, where did sales give you the edge when you started going into a career path and climbing to the top like that?
0: you know, I say all the time, we are always selling. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm selling at home when I have a conversation with my husband. I mean, it's like, let's face it, selling is a skill that is going to serve you well for your entire life, regardless of what you're doing personally or professionally. I started selling even before I came to the company. I was in sales for hotels, selling conference space, trade show space. So, and I don't know. I guess it's just in my DNA. And I've always been a salesperson at heart. So for the first 21 years of my 39-year career, I was in sales and marketing. So 17 of my years uh, were in sales. And then I went over to marketing for four. And then I entered the operational side of our business. And again, you're always persuading, influencing, motivating, inspiring. And I think The sales skills that you get to do that, to bring people along with you, to, you know, have them basically buy what you're selling. And I don't care if you're a salesperson selling a product or you're a CEO selling a dream or a vision or a strategy, you know, you're always selling. And I believe that the skill of selling is so extremely important and valuable, regardless of where you end up in your career.
1: Amen to that. And so you're definitely on the right show to be speaking about this. And since we're on the topic, because again, a lot of people have this struggle with sales. It's like, I feel yucky about it. I see like it looks dirty and I have had a bad experience and it was very manipulative. But here you are with this experience in sales. So were you always a natural salesperson? Were there anything you needed to kind of overcome around your ideas of what sales were? And that's going like way early into the career.
0: Yeah. Listen, I get it. I get why people think that and I think some industries and some, you know, some selling techniques do have that. Yeah, I think that's the same in anything, right? But I think that there's a way, you know, and my book talks a lot about authenticity. And my book talks a lot about integrity and who you are as a human being guiding everything that you do uh, throughout your career and never sacrificing that. And I've always lived by that. So if you're a salesperson and you have an amazing product and you have a ton of integrity, it is an admirable profession because everybody needs something. And as long as you're fulfilling a need and you're doing it in an authentic way with a lot of integrity, I don't think it's fair to give sales that rub. You know, my sister's a lawyer. And I love lawyers. People say the same thing about lawyers, right? But let me tell you, when you need a good lawyer, man, you need a good lawyer. And so I think that every profession, unfortunately, has people that probably don't do it justice and don't behave in the right way. Yeah, but I think sales is extremely important. My niece is in sales, and my niece sells environmentally friendly HVAC systems because she's, you know, dedicated to saving the planet. So, And she just, again, has this aura and energy and she's authentic and she's in it for all the good and right reasons. And so I think that sales is a very admirable skill and profession.
1: I love it. And I want to go back into the core topic of the book, but you did open the can of worm on sales. So I'm all perked up now. Were you like exposed to like early ideas on sales training or were you like, were your family very supportive of you taking sales? Because a lot of culture and, you know, particularly for listeners, I'll actually point out in Eastern Europe, there's a lot of hesitation around sales, much more than any culture I've ever witnessed. Asia is quite, you know, distant generally around sales in America is more than likely to be the embracing of sales. But I'd be curious about your own experience because you have such this great energy and mindset around sales. But that's not the typical norm for most people.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know. So when I went to Bentley College, I was studying accounting because I love math. I was really good at it. And I was working my way through school. You know, I was waitressing to make money to pay my tuition. And people would ask me, the people I was waiting on, you know, they would always strike up a conversation. I'm a pretty, you know, I like people. I'm pretty gregarious i have always loved having conversations with people and always developed a nice rapport with the people i was serving and they would ask me what are you going to school for and i would say accounting and they'd be like nope you are not an accountant you're never going to you're never going to be an accountant and i'm going to take on bridge at that really of course i am i like smart i do math it's my chosen field i don't even know why i chose that but again i liked math i was good at math and they were right, I was never an accountant, however, studying accounting in college again served me very well in my CEO role, being responsible for earnings per share, my p and l return on my invested capital, all of those things came you know all of that knowledge came in very handy but i never I never thought about sales other than It was something I was really good at. My parents always owned restaurants. So it's funny, I've always been in the hospitality business. I grew up in a small fishing town in Massachusetts, right on the ocean. I ended up in hospitality on the ocean. And again, another serendipitous thing that happened that I never expected in my life or in my career, but I never had sales training. I was never, you know, I said, okay, I want to go into sales. Now I'm going to go study how to be in sales. I think a lot of things, including leadership, come naturally. You know, it's either in you or it isn't. And I'm not saying people can't ascend to leadership positions, but it doesn't mean they're good leaders. And I don't think you can make someone a good leader. I think someone is either born with it or they're not born with it. And you really know the difference. You know, the difference when you're encountering a good salesperson you know the difference when you're encountering a good leader and I think a lot of that is just sort of in our DNA and if you follow kind of what's inside you and you focus on that and you build on that I think you can build a you know a wonderful career around the things that come naturally to you
1: I'm really glad you bring it the idea of the qualifications required for leadership. Because sales, I'll actually park the subject, but just leave it with this. Sales is really good and there's a ton of qualities and it's all a lot about communication, presence, caring, and this is a lot of stuff I talk about. But I think a key difference between someone who's just good at sales and then somebody who's good at leadership, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, is with leadership comes a whole lot more responsibility. Because in sales, in some level, you can actually let go of the responsibility once the sale is made, as long as you trust the account managers and whoever's kind of taking care of that process. But being in a CEO role or any management role, a leadership role, really, there's a whole lot of responsibility that comes with that. And even in the way that I work with my clients where I've taken on, you know, management roles and steer their organization, I see how heavy responsibility is and how rejected it is by most people. They don't want to take it. And so do you find that's one of the key things that differentiates someone who can be or cannot be a leader?
0: Well, it's really interesting that you say that, Jason, because I remember when I was four years into my role as a salesperson in our company, an opportunity came up where we had to where you would have to move to Miami, and it was a regional sales manager. But not all good salespeople make good leaders, because sales is a very individual profession. You know, it's all about your goals, it's all about achieving your results, you have your own metrics. I took a territory from number 10 to number one in the country over that four-year period of time, and you're always just, you know, you're always looking at your own targets you don't need to lead people to achieve something. You need to just lead yourself to achieve something. And that's a very different skill set. So, not all salespeople make great leaders. And then, even if they get into, if they think they want to be a manager of salespeople and they get into that role, they don't like it. They're not happy there because, again, it's a very different skill set. You know, I was fortunate. And the other thing is, I think I grew as a leader as well. I probably have the innate things that leaders need, but I also learned to be a better leader. Of course, in your career, I learned to be a better salesperson. I handled different sales functions. I had different responsibilities, so I've traversed my way well through the sales organization and all the different areas of sales that we have. But I think the thing that I probably have evolved the most in is as a leader over time.
1: So... I'm very curious to poke on that a little, because earlier you're talking about how there's a lot of these innate qualities you need to be a leader, but we're also talking about the fact that you can grow as a leader. And I'm trying to find the balance between that, because what I'm afraid, or maybe that's part of the understanding is maybe somebody listening to this, you know, in their current position, or even as an entrepreneur, you have to take on these leadership qualities. Are there some like disqualifying traits versus trainable traits that we should be aware of?
0: You know, it's hard to say. I've seen a lot of people rise into very high leadership roles that don't have a lot of the traits that I think are important in a leader. I was very specific in the subtitle of my book regarding heart. I think heart is really important in leading. I think heart's really important in everything, but a lot of people discount it and don't think it's necessary, especially when you're in a publicly traded company where, you know, shareholder value is at the top of the list. And People think that heart and extraordinary shareholder value don't go hand in hand, and I don't agree with that. But I see a lot of leaders ascend into those positions who might not, in general. When you see any company, any CEO, any you know anything that's going on outside in the you know corporate environment, and even in political environment, regardless of where you are, you know I believe heart is a really important ingredient in the recipe.
1: Mm. I want to poke at that as well, because, you know, most people might have a stereotype around what a CEO is, and Heartless might actually make the list of what people expect from a CEO, because... I mean, you have to make decisions. You mentioned 20,000 people under your management. And, you know, you're in the cruise line. And I know we talked even before we hit record. You were there during the pandemic. Things shut down. Like, big decisions need to be made. And it's almost like, wow, if you're doing it with heart, it's almost like how much heart can you give in a position where there's so many people that rely on you. So I'd be very curious to know, how were you able to keep the heart in a place where most people label it as heartless? (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, and a lot of people tell me that when they meet me and have conversations with me and, you know, and then know what I do for a living, you know, she's a CEO, really? And I don't know that I'm the stereotypical CEO. And I don't know, I hate to stereotype anyone around anything. But you're right, you know, heartless could make the list of traits in CEOs, because people think you can't have heart and make it all the way to the top. And I did. And I think it's one of the things I'm proudest of. You know, I realized when I left sales and marketing and came into operations that the operational environment is a very different environment than sales and marketing. There aren't a lot of soft edges in operation. And if you think about our industry and our operation, it's quite complex. It's huge. It's You know, you've got ships all over the world. You have crew members all over the world. You're delivering every aspect of the guest experience. You've got containers meeting your ships. And if they don't make it, you know, your guests don't have, you know, don't have dinner and don't have, you know, a lot of the things that they need on their vacation. And so you're running this very complex logistical organization that has so many moving parts And a lot of it is very technical, and it was all men. I don't mean to rub, I don't, again, like to stereotype, but in the environment that I grew up in, in this industry, there was not a lot of heart. And the one thing that I realized as soon as I left sales and marketing and went into operations was that I need to do this differently. I need to do this with heart because I go on these ships and I see all these people from all over the world who are working so hard and leaving their families, and I didn't want them to work in an environment where they didn't know someone cared. And that, I believe, was one of the superpowers that I think I was able to have in this industry because it was so different And I believe the discretionary effort you get from people when you lead with heart and they know you genuinely care about them is priceless. And so I learned that bringing the things that were natural to me, like caring and like heart, served me very well and also served the people that worked with me very well as well. They were happy. They felt cared for. They knew. And even during the pandemic, you know, that... I actually had to lead with more heart during the pandemic than not during the pandemic because people were so afraid that we weren't going to come back, that they weren't going to have their jobs, that they weren't going to be able to provide for their families. So I had to give them hope. You know, I had to give them confidence, even on days I didn't have it. And so I had to flex those leadership muscles a lot more and then de-emphasize that driving, Revenue, profitability, you know, all of those things that I'm also, you know, hyper focused on all the time. I had to, those had to go down and the heart had to go up a lot more. And, but, you know, that's another thing you have to learn as a leader. You need to pivot your style based on the situation you're in
1: there was a term that was used in previous organizations where there were two types of CEO hats you would have to wear. One was like a peacetime CEO versus a wartime CEO. And interestingly enough, the wartime CEO is actually one where if a crisis was happening, you would cut out the heart <laughs> part and you would go into the hardcore. But here again, you in the time that it was a crisis, you actually went doubling on the heart. And you talked about how it was the people were happier, you were getting some stuff done. But given that, you know, return and shareholder value was still the thing that was kind of at the top of the measuring sticks, I would make the assumption that when you do those kinds of actions, it would start with an initial dip, but then bring in long term value. Would that be a correct assumption? And how do you communicate that in a world that wants result now?
0: You know, I don't know. COVID hit our industry particularly hard because we were shut down for so long and clearly anybody that read the news knew we had to borrow billions of dollars to stay afloat, you know, pardon the pun, but it's true. And getting through it was one thing. And then coming out of it was a whole other tough situation where we had to start up 15 ships in 12 months. That's unheard of. That's another logistical operational nightmare. You know, in my career, we've started up one ship a year, one ship, maybe every eighteen months, as you're bringing new ships into your fleet. Never in my wildest imagination did I ever think we would start out fifteen ships in twelve months, and again, that is man, that's twenty four seven you know, going really hard to make sure that you are ready when the first guest arrives. Your ships have been laid up for 15 months. I mean, we kept them in really good condition. And, you know, we had a small crew on them making sure they were well maintained and all the systems were kept in perfect condition. But it was quite a challenge. And again, though, through all of that, you know the sentiment was euphoric. Our crew was coming back after having been out of work for the most part. I mean they probably got little jobs where they lived to get them by. but you know they always just waited to come back and so when they could finally come back, they were euphoric and they were grateful and you know it was such an amazing time and I don't know if... I mean, yeah, sure, things dipped. Our ships weren't full yet. It took us a while to come all the way back. But you could see the steady build. You could see the consumers coming back. You could see people wanted to live their lives again. They wanted to vacation. Our crew was coming back. So at the same time, it was just a really wonderful and beautiful time. And we were all just so thrilled to be doing what we love again. So... Despite the worst of the situation, we all got through it in a really great way, and our crew was a big part of that.
1: Well, I would assume if you have everybody in the right mind aligned to the vision and knows that you care, I would see how motivated and effective that would be as a workforce. But you as an individual leader, I kind of want to speak about that because that does seem like extremely demanding, like to scale heart, to scale caring in such a way and you know I almost feel like I have to give the disclaimer I'm asking for a friend but no actually I'm asking for myself I've worked with some small teams and I found it exhausting sometimes when I have to really care for a lot of other people and I realize that people are craving knowing that their managers their leaders care for them and I've done it with small teams you're doing it with an organization of 20,000 people I can't even comprehend the level of caring you need to have and at that scale and keeping your own energy up. And so that sounds hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is if it doesn't come naturally to you, but caring and nurturing do come very naturally to me. There's a lot of different things. You know, we're all complex human beings made up of a lot of different things. And I think that you know i've always like taken care of people i've always taken care of my sisters since the day they were born take care of my family no matter who it is what it is they all live with me when they need a place to live my sister told me once she never met anyone in her life that had a bigger capacity to love than me and you know i took that as a supreme compliment and It's genuine, and that's why some leaders have it and some leaders don't, right? And that's why you can't teach a leader empathy. You can't teach a leader to have heart if they don't automatically come with it. And you can very quickly see how people respond to leaders who do and don't have heart. And I've seen people in organizations who work for leaders that don't really, you know, register high on the heart Richter scale <laughs> and how they go about their jobs and it's a job it's a job at that point it's just a job. They go to work and they do what they have to do to make a living and they realize it's their job and that's fine you know that's the way it is. But when you're in an environment where you are genuinely cared for and you don't just look at it as a job that's what I wanted. I wanted an environment where people just didn't come to work at Celebrity because it was a job. They worked at Celebrity because they cared. They uh, they were mutually invested, emotionally invested in our success. They gave everything they had every day. And they were happy being there. And then they could be their genuine self and know that they were in an environment where they could trust you know and we were a team and we collaborated you know it was all for one and one for all nobody was more important than the team and that's the environment that i felt was really important to create and it served me very well as a ceo because our brand got the results and transformed our results and transformed our brand and and created a brand that earned a ton of respect and really became a force to be reckoned with in our industry And when I took it over, you know, nine years ago, it wasn't. So it worked for me now. And I'm not saying other styles can't work for other people and they can't get the same thing, but it was just how I wanted to do it. You know, I've always said the results that you get are really important, but how you get them is equally important. And for me, that was my half.
1: Amen to that. I feel like you're paving the path For a lot of people that feel like this is the way that it should be done, but we only get examples of ways that are done heartless. And now that you've done that, it's almost like you're giving permission and you've created the results that, hey, being a good person and leading an organization is actually quite effective. Do you find that's like a trait of our current times or is this like a secret sauce that most people weren't talking about before?
0: I think it's both. If you see a lot of what's going on and what people are talking about in leadership, you know, and I even think in a post-COVID world, it's more important because people are opting into situations that are comfortable for them that might be different than in a pre-COVID world. You know, everybody has reassessed how they want to spend their time, how they want to live their lives, where they want to be. And I think it is a sign of the times that leaders need to think about leading with heart in a much bigger way. I think many are, but I'll use gender equality in the same way I'll use leading with heart. We've probably come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. I do think that there's more of it. It's the sign of the times but it's not as ubiquitous as it needs to be.
1: Well, I'm excited that Making Waves is going to be hitting the shelves extremely soon. And for everybody tuning in, definitely go grab a copy of that. And I'd be really curious to know, Lisa, about, you know, writing a book is no small feat. I know you've put in a lot of time, effort, And I would be curious to know, in you putting that together, what are some of the biggest hopes you have for the people that are reading this book as far as what they'll be able to get as a transformation and different goals they might set for themselves based on your stories?
0: Well, it's 10 chapters and it's a book of the lessons I learned along my way that got me from the very bottom to the very top and also served me well. And I'm hoping that people who read it find a few nuggets in there that are helpful, whether it's in their professional life or in their personal life, that they can apply. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book to share. And while it's probably going to be a book that will appeal to women and young women that might even be starting out in their careers and thinking about what they want to do and where they want to go, you know, and there's a lot of lessons in there about, that as well. You know, I didn't always know where I was going to end up or where I wanted to go. I learned that along my way. And I didn't really have that CEO target in my purview for many, many years. And I took a very long and windy road to get there. But, you know, that's okay, too. And I think a lot of people who are navigating their life or their career wonder, you know, where they're going to end up and how they're going to do it and how to overcome certain situations. So I'm hoping that my book helps them in some small or very big way.
1: Well, you're definitely going to make some big waves for them. That's for sure. I just want to make sure for all the listeners who are inspired by this, we're going to put a link to the show notes so you get a copy of Making Waves, A Woman's Ride to the Top using Smart's Heart and Courage, which I want to talk on Courage, but I'll ask the question in a strange way because this has been piquing my curiosity. There's a lot of people who are suggesting that the only path for success is to be an entrepreneur and do it your way. And by all measures, I feel like you've had an extremely successful career, but you chose to do it within a corporate environment, which I feel that there's a lot of pushback towards. And it's almost telling everyone, like, leave your jobs, be your own boss. And I'd be curious to know what is your perspective, because you definitely chose to continue in the corporate and make it something wonderful. So... You're from a very different background because I'm definitely more on the entrepreneurial side. And quite frankly, I feel a lot more people need to get in jobs than be entrepreneur. But I'd be curious to know from your side of the fence.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. You're either one or the other, I feel like. you know, I know so many people are like, I wouldn't work in a corporation if you paid me a lot of money. And listen, I ended up there. Again, I don't know how or why, but I did. And I took full advantage of it. And, you know, I was in a big company with a lot of different brands, with a lot of opportunity. I got to learn a lot. I got to do a lot. And I'm in an industry where it was growing, which is always wonderful. You know, know, when I started back in 1985, it was so small. And, you know, now it's so huge. And in 1992, we went public. And, yeah, I certainly don't have advice for people around which way to go. Right. But. I did it in a corporate environment, and there are a lot of people I know that are extremely successful who didn't and who wouldn't for all the money that somebody would offer because it's just not right for them. And I was in that same company for 39 years. I'm like a unicorn. You just don't find many of me around anymore. It It just doesn't happen. It's crazy. And maybe it never will again. I'm of an age and I see young people now who have a very different perspective, but all these big companies need great people to go to work for them. And the only way that they're going to be successful is if they bring those types of people in. So I would, you know, I think people have to do what's right for them and what feels good for them, but I wouldn't just handily discount working in a company. But again, Where you work is really important. And culture for me, which is a lot of what my book is about, is culture is the number one thing that you need to look for. And even when I talk to people now, when they tell me about their situations, you know, I tell them to leave because they're not in a good culture. And culture is everything. And some companies have a really good culture.
1: I'd want to poke a bit more at that because I've definitely been part of organizations where we've definitely been very conscious on how to design that culture. And I'd be curious to know what are some of the uh, biggest things that you've been able to witness and transform when it comes to a culture, or if there's any kind of nugget of information around culture that somebody could take home from listening to this episode.
0: Well, I think that what people say and what people do are two very different things. And so I think that people really need to do their homework around what a culture is really like in the day-to-day living in a culture. A lot of companies have slogans around culture. A lot of people say they have a great culture. But, you know, I used to say this when I walked on a ship. I could tell within 10 minutes if the ship had great leaders. You you know it. You feel it. It's instinctive. And at least it was for me. And I think that... You know, you need to have your radar up when you are talking about culture and thinking about culture. Like, how are people behaving? How are, you know, what do people say? When people would come to me when they were interviewing at Celebrity, I was the last stop, of course, because I had a great team of people who would talk to people before they recommended that they sit with me because there were, you know, The people that i worked with knew what we were looking for and if i would if somebody should make it to have a conversation with me anyway when those people came finally sitting across from me having a cup of coffee or having a conversation and they told me that they met all of my leaders and that the message was consistent you know they were just having organic conversations with people and everybody sort of said the same thing. We were all very much aligned around the same thing. We cared about the same things. We wanted the same things for celebrity. And we wanted the same things in whoever was going to join the team. And I think that you can tell a lot from a culture in an organization when you have conversations and you listen for the right things. And a lot of times it's what people don't say that are as important as what people do say. And you really have to be able to assess the situation that you're going to put yourself in if you're going to join a company where you might not think it's the right place for you to go. And oh, by the way, there's nothing you can't find out on the World Wide Web. (laughs) It's just like there's a lot out there that can give you a lot of information. And then you just do your homework and make sure you're putting yourself in the right situation.
1: Well, Lisa, I know we just touched the tip of the iceberg, and of course, that's maybe not (laughs) the right kind of jokes to do around cruise. No, the bad analogy
0: (laughs) for (laughs) someone that works in the the cruise industry.
1: We don't don't talk about this. Honestly, it's been such a wonderful conversation. And again, I just want to encourage everybody. We're going to put up a link, Making Waves, just coming out. It's a fantastic book for anybody who's looking to raise to the top with smarts, heart, and courage. With that, there is a question that I asked all my guests, Lisa, and I know we started with sales. We're going to end with sales as well, which is you are on the Selling with Love podcast. So I need to ask you, what does selling with love mean to you?
0: Oh, well, you know. When I was looking at the title of your podcast it, it it describes me very well and you know I think we need to do everything with love selling is just one of those things and again it's with authenticity it's with integrity and it's with heart and people can tell that from you you know People get a really good sense of who you are very quickly. And when you do anything with love, including selling with love, I think it's only going to serve you well and make you unbelievably successful in anything that you do.
1: Amen. With positive ripples and waves, for everybody you impact as well. So I'll add that. I'll say, Lisa, it's been fantastic conversation. Thank you for sharing so much here. I love how you've had this attitude around sales, and I think that's been a key factor to help you see the open doors and ask for what you want and rise to the top as a leader. The way that you operated as a CEO, that you brought in the heart, the authenticity, the integrity, I think is a message that everyone that is listening, thinking, oh, I don't think I can be a leader because I care too much, I think is a crock of I think that what is missing is possibly that piece of courage that you speak about to realize that the world needs this more than ever. Companies want this as well. The results that you brought from what you've done speak for themselves. And now you get to have your cake and eat it too because shareholders are happy, the team is happy, and you've built an incredible career as well. So congratulations again on the book. Thank you so much for the conversation. This was absolutely wonderful.
0: Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure.